atheist admits and recognizes that he's not omniscient, that he's not all-knowing, then he's opened up the possibility that what he doesn't know might be the evidences of God's existence. Once he admits and recognizes that he's not omnipresent, then he's opened up the possibility that where he's not might be where deity is found. And so often the atheist then will decide that he is an agnostic. We talk about different forms or titles of unbelief, but agnosticism is also self-defeating. Agnostic says, I can't know anything. Ask them, do you know that? How do you know that? It's self-defeating. And so I think it's critical and important that we be familiar with these various forms of unbelief, that we be aware that we know how to answer them because as the table and graph here illustrates, atheism, agnosticism is growing more and more with each generation. Each generation seemingly is less and less religious. And atheists have made it clear their agenda is to wage war in the classroom and to teach your child before and better than you do that God doesn't exist and that Christianity is false. And so we need to be prepared to give an answer, not only for the benefit of our own faith and fortifying our faith and the benefit of our children's faith and fortifying their faith, but we're to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. And that's implying that that hope is evident. We're going to talk about hope in our conclusion. But every man would include the unbeliever, would include the atheist and the agnostic. And we need to be prepared to give them a defense. That's what the word there, apologias in the Greek, where we get the term apologetics. Making an apology in a court setting, giving a defense of the Christian faith. And I want to also emphasize the end of this verse with meekness and fear, because we don't always get that right. Get on social media, people that don't agree with us, whether in different denominations or politically or atheist. Many people in the church, it's very evident, very obvious that what we have said has not been filtered through WWJD. And so as the saying goes, it's not just what you say, but how you say it. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And so if we're going to be effective, we have to, in teaching and reaching the atheist, we have to always remember and keep in mind that they were created in the image of God, our creator, just like we were. And the goal and the agenda is not to win an argument, but is that they would come to a knowledge of the truth and find salvation because God wants all men to be saved. And so I want us to appreciate that up front as we begin to consider and examine three topics that I believe are central to this discussion and debate. This evening, we want to talk about the nature of faith, the problem of pain, and the need for God. And I think it's appropriate for us to start with the nature of faith because I believe properly defining and presenting the biblical concept of faith is foundational in this discussion. Because atheists have the concept of faith that Richard Dawkins, an outspoken and famous atheist, author of The God Delusion, writes, the whole point of religious faith, its strength and chief glory 
is that it does not depend on rational justification. Christianity, just as much as Islam, teaches children that unquestioned faith is a virtue. You don't have to make the case for what you believe. And sadly, many Christians have adopted this atheistic and worldly definition of what it means to have faith, and we talk about a blind leap. Like it's something mysterious and divorced from knowledge and reason and logic and truth. You don't jump off a cliff because you blindly believe you're not going to get hurt. We don't do that physically. Bible doesn't teach us to do that spiritually either. Belief and knowledge are often used interchangeably throughout the Bible. Knowing something, being sure of something, is not incompatible with believing something. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. Jesus says, believe that I'm the Son of God, not because of my claims, but because of the works, because of the miracles, the prophecies, the empty tomb. Don't believe in spite of the evidence, believe because of the evidence. And that's the concept that's taught throughout Scripture. We'll look at just a few examples in the book of Acts alone, Acts 1-3. Speaking of Jesus, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Eyewitness testimony after his resurrection. Next chapter, birthday of the church. Peter says you need to believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God. He tries to convince them of that. That's the conclusion. Why should we believe that? Because of the miracles, the prophecies, and the empty tomb. Believe because of the evidence. Acts 17, the Bereans who were commended because they applied the law of rationality, drawing only such conclusions that were warranted by the evidence. Acts 26, verse 25, Paul tells Festus, I speak the words of truth and reason. And yet you'll hear Christians sometimes say, well, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. In fact, there's a well-known book that I actually have in the apologetic section of my library because it has a lot of good apologetic information with that very title. I'm going to tell you, though, that title's not accurate, at least not if we define faith the way the Bible presents it. If faith is based on evidence, substance, logic, reason, the law of rationality, it takes none of that kind of faith to believe in the theory of evolution, to not believe in God, violating various laws of science. It takes no biblical faith, that type of faith, based on evidence to be an atheist. The blind leap is when we take God out of the equation. And so God's given us an abundant amount of reasons to believe. The atheist will argue that if God exists, he's gone to great lengths to hide himself. I would counter that God has in fact gone to great lengths to reveal himself. And in fact, he has come in the flesh. And the supernatural son of God demands the supernatural father. The supernatural characteristics of the Bible demand a supernatural author. These evidences for God's existence, the law of cause and effect. Matter demands a maker. That's the laws of thermodynamics. Life demands a life giver. Spontaneous generation, life from non-life, disproven by science. Intelligence demands an intelligent creator. Design demands a designer. The fine-tuning that we see throughout our universe demands a fine-tuner. Moral law demands a moral lawgiver. We'll talk about here in a moment. You don't get a poem without a poet a song without a songwriter. And these evidences combine to give us reasons to believe. We've covered these evidences previously. I've talked about these in previous sermons. We don't have time to elaborate upon them. Tonight, I'll refer you to them in a multitude of books and resources on these evidences in support of these truths. 
And so is creationism unscientific? That's the allegation made by evolutionists and atheists. And I want to tell you, we walk right into the trap when we start pitting science versus the Bible in faith versus reason. That's not what's at conflict. What's at conflict is true science versus science falsely so-called. Reasonable faith versus unreasonable faith. If science in the Bible and creationism were mutually exclusive, you would expect to never find scientists that believe in the Bible and believe in God. That's simply not the case, as we'll see here in a moment. Yet the atheist will say creation is untestable by science. You can't put God under a microscope. But they'll be forced to admit when you press them that you have to utilize indirect experimentation for evolution. The theory of evolution, never been observed. Some things in this world can't be tested directly. You can't see them or hear them or taste them or feel them, but you know they exist because of the effects. Romans 1, verse 19, because that, which when, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You see, the problem is usually not the evidence. The problem is this bias against God. Stanley Sayers writes about this. One of the significant and obvious reasons the unbeliever remains an unbeliever is that he likes it that way. In fact, any evidence of any source or to any degree fails to move him from his position if his heart is strongly bent against evidence and toward unbelief. Friedrich Nitschke, atheistic German philosopher, if one were to prove this God of the Christians to us, we should be even less able to believe in him. It is our preference that decides against Christianity not arguments. It's not the evidence, it's this bias against God. Richard Dawkins again writes, it is absolutely safe to say that if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked. Truth is, though, there are many brilliant people who are not ignorant, stupid, or insane who do believe in God, including many fathers of various scientific fields. Sir Isaac Newton, Pasteur, Von Braun, Morse, Boyle, Kepler, etc. In fact, lists have been compiled of many scientists and PhDs. Jerry Bergman amassed a list of more than 3,000 and said, if I had more time and resources, I could probably come up with 10,000. He says, on my list, I have well over 3,000 names, including Nobel Prize winners, but unfortunately, a large number of persons that could be added to the public list, including many college professors, did not want their name listed because of real concerns over possible retaliation or harm to their careers. And it's that discrimination that Ben Stein sought to expose in a documentary a few years ago called Expelled, where he talked about scientists and professors who looked at the evidence and said it demands a supernatural creator, intelligent design, demands a designer, lost their jobs, threats of not getting tenure as a professor. John Patterson talks about this. He says, creationists complain about this discrimination. He says, creationism should be discriminated against. Nobody who advocates that propaganda should be trusted to teach science. Moreover, if they're doing so, they should be dismissed. I am glad this kind of discrimination is finally catching on, and I hope the practice becomes more vigorous and widespread in the future. Here's the point. There are a lot more scientists (laughs) that believe in God and in special creation than evolutionists and atheists would want you to know about. They're doing their best to silence them. 
See, special creation is the most rational, reasonable, and scientific explanation. And so we talk about our faith being based on knowledge and information. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Therefore, the atheist often is going to attack the source of our faith, the Word of God, and claim the Bible is full of mistakes, full of contradictions and discrepancies. And when pressed, usually they can't offer up one, they just know they're in there somewhere. But occasionally you'll have one that'll say, you know, all these different, they'll rattle off several. And that's an effective strategy to overwhelm you. So you can't give a response. And so start by saying one at a time, give me your best argument. And once you've answered that argument, point out, I've answered what you said was your best argument against God's existence and we can continue. You know, the Bible has withstood the attacks of skeptics and unbelievers for hundreds and thousands of years. And so examples that are put forth probably have been put forth before and have been answered before. And there are resources to help you answer those alleged discrepancies. In fact, a few months ago, we talked about answering these alleged discrepancies. And I said that nearly every discrepancy that's put forth can be answered by one or more of these principles you see here listed. And I want to also point out You know, often you'll discover that the atheist knows just enough about the Bible to be dangerous, often taking verses out of context, but Christians do the exact same thing. (laughs) We do the exact same thing. We know just enough to be dangerous, taking the Bible out of context. So my point is, you can't 1 Peter 3.15 what you don't know and what you don't read. And if that describes us, let's do something about that and let's get prepared to give an answer the reason of the hope that's within us. It starts with defining the nature of faith. And I want to transition now into talking about what I believe is one of the most often used objections to God's existence. And it's not so much intellectual. It's not the scientific evidences we listed on the slide earlier that are more technical in nature. A lot of times it's emotional. It's not always something that's going on in the mind. Sometimes it's what's going on in the heart. Immorality, pride, a bias against God that we mentioned earlier. And one of the most common objections to belief in God is the presence of evil, pain, and suffering in the world. Charles Darwin, in fact, his daughter died at the age of 10. His wife retained her faith. He said, I couldn't believe anymore, and the rest is history. The argument basically goes, God's either not perfect in goodness if he allows evil, and or he's not omnipotent, he's not all-powerful if he can't prevent suffering. If there is an all-powerful, all-loving God, then why do bad things happen to good people? The atheist will say, walk through a children's hospital and you'll know God doesn't exist. I would argue the opposite. You walk through a children's hospital and you know that the theory of evolution can't be true. Survival of the fittest can't be true. The selfless care and devotion, resources and time dedicated to people who are weak, survival of the fittest can't be true. Who can't pass on their genes, which is all the theory of evolution is supposedly concerned with. We see not only evil, pain, and suffering exist, but we see good exist. We see love exist. And we know that God exists. Why do bad things happen to good people? Romans says, none righteous, no, not one. So really the question is, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Right? We don't say, why? How could you let that happen to me when Jesus goes to the cross? Why? Greatest injustice of all time. Book of Job is concerned with that question. Job didn't become an atheist. In fact, his response, he worshiped. His response, blessed be the name 
of the Lord. And so we don't have time again to talk about all the reasons why people suffer, how to deal with evil, pain, and suffering, how to change the question from why to what and how. But for the purpose of our study, I just want you to observe and know that evil, pain, and suffering is not a problem for theism, it's a problem for atheism. Atheists often claim they're more moral than God and they describe God in very unflattering terms. Richard Dawkins does that in The God Delusion. Quotes I could not put on the screen tonight. The extreme irony, though, is that atheism can't define, much less use, the term morality. If atheism and evolution is true, morality doesn't exist. You can't claim that what somebody does, what Hitler did, was immoral. You can't claim what God does is immoral because morality doesn't exist. William Provine, who since passed away, was a professor at Cornell, gave a speech on the second annual Darwin Day at the University of Tennessee, and he talked about the implications of evolution and atheism. And one of the bullet points, no ultimate foundation for ethics exists. And so William Craig talks about this when he writes, I think that evil paradoxically actually proves the existence of God. My argument would go like this. If God does not exist, then objective moral values do not exist. Evil exists, therefore objective moral values exist. That is to say, some things are really evil. Therefore, God exists. Thus, although evil and suffering at one level seem to call into question God's existence on a deeper, more fundamental level, they actually prove God's existence. In C.S. Lewis's journey from atheism to theism, so my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked, unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it didn't happen to please my private fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. So can suffering have any meaning and purpose? Atheists are forced to admit that sometimes pain can be beneficial. You have chest pain before a heart attack, or you take your children to the doctor and they get a shot. So it's not that pain and suffering, they'll have to change the argument to unnecessary or pointless pain and suffering. But who gets to define that? Tim Keller writes about this. He said, tucked away within the assertion that the world is filled with pointless evil is a hidden premise, namely that if it appears pointless to me, then it must be pointless. This is fallacious. This is not legitimate. We see lurking within supposedly hard-nosed skepticism and enormous faith in one's own cognitive faculties. If our minds can't plumb the depths of the universe for good answers to suffering, well, then there can't be any. This is blind faith of a high order. And we lose sight of what's the purpose of human existence. It's not just this life. There's a life beyond this life that's even infinitely more important. And God's trying to prepare us for that. This perfect environment of soul making where God doesn't violate our free will, force us to believe. The Bible talks about our faith being tested makes us stronger. Sometimes gets our attention. Sometimes you don't look up to your flat on your back. And it brings us to faith in God. And who's in the best position to know? That's what God essentially told Job. 
Where were you when I made all this? Do you understand how this works? Where were you? He knows more. He knows best. He knows us. He knows the future, and he sees the biggest, bigger picture. And as Romans 8 says, it'll all be worth it in the end. When we see Jesus and God wipes away all tears, when evil, pain, and suffering will be no more. Similar argument, God is immoral for killing people, usually in reference to events that transpired in the Old Testament, driving them out of the promised land, the flood. But atheists will admit when you press them that some people deserve to be punished. So they'll change the argument to God is immoral for killing innocent children. Again, you can't make that argument if you don't believe in God because there is no morality. But it's ironic too because... Atheism doesn't care about innocent children. That's abundantly clear. Survival of the fittest. See these quotes here about abortion. If you are concerned about suffering in this universe, killing a fly should present you with greater moral difficulties than killing a human. If you're worried about human suffering, abortion should rank very low on your list of concerns. It goes on to talk about how a fetus is basically a, the equivalent of a rabbit. See, atheism says that all you've got is this life. And it robs an innocent child of everything that child supposedly has. We understand, obviously, the physical life is not all that. We have an immortal soul. Death is not complete loss and can benefit the one who dies. Paul talked about that. He said to to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Isaiah 57 talks about for the righteous. The righteous is taken away and spared evil, pain, and suffering. And that's especially true for innocent children. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So the atheists sometimes will counter, well, why not just kill all the babies? Why not kill Christians as soon as they're baptized? You know, one of the greatest ways God brings people to faith in him is through the influence and example of people of faith and often how they respond to adversity. We need Christians in the world. We need the example and influence of New Testament Christianity in the world. That's kind of the sentiment of an acapella song that's addressing the subject of abortion, what was I supposed to be? Would I be a prophet used in the ministry, a doctor who would find a cure for some terrible disease? Even if I'd been born imperfect, why couldn't my daddy see that I'd have been made perfect when you came back for me? Oh, Jesus, what was I supposed to be? Ecclesiastes 12, 7, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Ultimately, we don't have authority. God's the giver of life, and he has the authority, the right, to say how that life should be used, maintained, when it's accomplished its purpose, even the circumstances that it can be taken. One more argument under this umbrella of the problem of pain. Can a loving God send people to hell? Argument goes, it's unloving to punish people. That's the concept today. Recognize that's not true with our children. If God is love, then hell wouldn't exist. Therefore, either there's no hell, no God, God is unloving or the Bible is wrong. But we understand the concept of justice. Think about a judge who lets a murderer go free. Let's just open all the prisons, cancel all the laws. That's not justice. God is love, but God is also just and righteous and holy. And we read also about the wrath of God. Justice of God has to be maintained. just like, And we see the love and the justice of God brought together an infinite form at the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, that cross crucifies this argument. God did not exempt himself from evil, pain, and suffering. You buried a child, God has too. 
God experienced it too. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 53, he was a substitute for the punishment we deserved, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And so essentially God says, you can go to hell over my dead body. The lengths that God has gone to prevent us from going to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. C.S. Lewis writes, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Tim Keller, all God does in the end with people is give them what they most want, including freedom from himself. What could be more fair than that? And so we want to conclude by talking about the need for God because atheists will sometimes claim that you don't need God. We're smarter than God. We've advanced beyond God. You can live a good, meaningful life without God. Dan Barker, a former Christian turned atheist, if we can divert just one young mind from going into ministry or from wasting time and money on religion, we have made the world a better place. Is that true? We alluded to the brutality of evolution earlier in talking about abortion. Is that true? They'll say, well, according to that theory, we've acquired that from animals. Animals kill their own. Well, animals sometimes eat their own. Komodo dragons, I think 25% of their dragon or their diet, Komodo dragon. Some kill after intimacy. Where do we draw the line? But an eight-year-old orphan, drain on society. What about the elderly? Drain on society, euthanasia. Columbine killers wore natural selection shirts on the day of the shooting and had wrote previously that they were going to kick natural selection up a notch. And in 1994, a Dateline interview with Storm, uh, Stone Phillips, Jeffrey Dahmer and his father asked about his behavior. And Jeffrey's father asked him, when did you start realizing you were accountable for your actions? And he said, well, thanks for sending me that creation science material because I had previously believed evolution. You believe that, it cheapens life. There are implications. His father told Stone Phillips, basically, there was a time I had lost my belief in a supreme being and had failed to instill accountability to Jeffrey. And that's a very fundamental concept. Stone Phillips asked him, basically, so you think this lack of strong religious faith kind of explains his actions? He said, yes. He asked Jeffrey, is that how you feel? He said, yes, I think that had a big part to do with it. If a person doesn't think that there is a God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it? That's how I thought anyway. You think about sexual perversion. Adolph Huxley talks about his bias against God. He said, I didn't want to believe in God, so I found reasons not to believe in God. Why didn't I want to believe in God? Because he interfered with my sexual freedom. I wanted liberation. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul talked about that. Immorality, those do that, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's the result, sexual deviance and perversion. I can have it whenever, wherever, with whomever I want. If evolution and atheism is true, anything goes. Nothing's wrong. And we see the effects of that in our culture today, and we're shocked when we teach our children they're rabbits and they begin to breed like them. When we teach them that all life is about is passing on your genes. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you'll know them by their fruits. And the fruit bears record that when you remove God from society, you remove the ability to make moral choices. 
As atheists admitted from their own mouth, there is no foundation for ethics. And here's the point. When men refuse to believe in God, they don't believe in nothing. That's not the problem. (laughs) The scary thing is they believe in everything. Ideas have consequences and our lives are greatly impacted by what we believe. C.S. Lewis writes about this. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chest and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. That's what the psalmist said. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. John chapter 11, we see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And what was people's response to that testimony? Some believed what the Pharisees do in light of that testimony and, and proof. Let's kill him. Next chapter, let's kill Lazarus. And here's the point. For some people, but never enough. Jesus hanging on the cross. They had saw the miracles with their own eyes. The prophecies he fulfilled. If he'll come down from the cross, we'll believe. Never enough. Romans chapter one, though, God has given us more than enough so that we are without excuse on that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. As Hebrews 11 presents the concept of biblical faith, defines it, and then illustrates it, essentially what it teaches us is that faith is a conviction regarding things that we can't see that gives us a confidence, a hope, an earnest expectation regarding our future. I want to tell you, atheism robs you of that hope and confidence and meaning in life. I believe that we were created to believe that life has meaning and that we're to have purpose. And I believe whenever we start operating under this assumption that there is no meaning in life, there's some major cognitive dissonance. God set eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes. I believe that religious inclination we see throughout human civilization in history is proof of God's existence. Atheism robs us of meaning and purpose in life, and I don't have to prove that to you. I can just quote atheists who have acknowledged and admitted that fact. And I feel like I need to read these quotes in an Eeyore voice. They're depressing. The harsh answer is it has none when asked, what's the purpose and meaning of life? Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. Bertrand Russell, very famous... Atheist, brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls pitiless and dark, blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter, rolls on its relentless way for man condemned today to lose his dearest, tomorrow himself to pass through the gate of darkness. Sign me up for that. The fear of death gripped me for years, and there are still moments when I wake up at night in a cold sweat. That's a former Christian. Madeline Murray O'Hare, you might remember her, her a few decades ago. Arrogant, belligerent, militant atheist trying to remove God from society. She ended up being murdered by a former employee in her atheistic organization. They auctioned off her stuff and written several times in her journals, somebody, somewhere, love me. Lawrence Krauss. And by the way, that's the second of the two things I wanted to remind you of. The first is that you're insignificant. The second, the future is miserable. Voltaire, the humanist philosopher, you don't know where you come from, where you're going, those fundamental questions of life. Why am I here? Who am I? Where am I going? Where am I from? Tormented atoms in a bed of mud, devoured by death, a mockery of fate. 
It's into this miserable, dark, black hole of meaninglessness and despair that Christianity offers you a hope that is an anchor to the soul. It's the only belief system that gives you reason to get up in the morning and live life to the fullest. Solution to those night terrors, fear of death, Hebrews 2 came to release you from that bondage and the fear of death, to give you hope beyond the grave through his resurrection. If I'm wrong, I didn't lose anything. I had the best life. Made my relationships better, my marriage better, my children better. Living life out of control without morals, without serve. We weren't created to live like that. You don't find happiness and joy in those things, contrary to the lie. Serving the creation instead of the creator. If they're wrong... They lose everything. You want lasting joy, peace, faith, hope, love? You only find it in Christ. The irony, somebody somewhere loved me. God screams, Jesus Christ from the cross, I love you. Your life has meaning and value and purpose. You matter. You're significant. One in eight billion. You want to believe and know that you have eternal life? Hope beyond death? John writes, Jesus says, believe and be baptized. Believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have faith in the operation of God. Be washed in the blood and resurrected to walk in newness of life. I want to tell you, that's where conversion happens. Apologetics is great. Love apologetics. Gets people's attention, credibility, deals with the intellectual and emotional arguments, but ultimately, conversion still happens right here. The story of the cross. Apologetics compelling cross of Jesus even more compelling. The love of Christ constrains us. And if you need to respond to that, come in faith this this evening. Maybe you're here and you've done that previously, and as a Christian, you're having a faith crisis. Maybe you need to renew and strengthen your faith. You want to find meaning and purpose, those answers to fundamental questions of life? Come in faith. Be changed by faith and walk and live by faith and find the only true lasting joy and hope in life that's offered by being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Will you come and have a seat on the front as we stand and sing together?